Hey guys, I'm Katie. And I'm Rebecca. And this is Chills. Thrills. And Kills. Yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) We took out the podcast and we added a yay. (laughs) (laughs) But we synced that the first time, so. (laughs) I mean, apparently. All right. (laughs) Yeah, so we just got through recording our very first patron-exclusive episode, so that was really fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It was a good one, too. It was. I really... Your story always... That particular story always gives me the spooks. Mm -hmm. (sighs) All right. Well, I guess I'm going to go ahead and crack into my case today. Okay. Now, this one's pretty relevant based on everything that's going on in our country right now, and I just felt like it needed to be covered. So, here we go. On July 19th, 2005, Lavina Lynn Johnson was found dead at her military base in Balad, Iraq. I did not look up how to pronounce that. Let's just not go there. (laughs) The same morning, her parents, John and Linda, awoke to a loud banging on their door. A soldier had arrived to deliver the news that would change their lives forever. John Johnson recalls being told by an Army staff sergeant, This morning, Lavina L. Johnson died of self-inflicted wounds. Yikes. Yeah, and if I sound very low energy, it's because this story is completely devastating to me. Mm. And, yeah, I spent a good portion of the night crying while I was researching it. I cried today while writing it out. It's... Heavy. (sighs) Okay. it's, It's really heavy. So just be forewarned. It also can get kind of graphic. There's sexual assault mentions. Uh... All the usual triggers. All right. Great. Yeah. So the Johnsons were immediately suspicious uh, because that just didn't sound like something their daughter would ever do. So John, her father, is actually a psychologist, and he stated that suicide wouldn't have been something that she would even consider. Mm hmm. And honestly, after looking through crime scene photos, listening to audio recordings of letters she'd written her parents, as well as reading and listening to the explanations given by the military, I don't buy that either. Yeah, typically with suicides like that, they're never cut and dry. It's always like, hmm. (laughs) It's. There's nothing cut and dry about this, and not one shred of anything looks like a suicide. Yeah, that's... Mm-mm. And so, we're gonna get into it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Since her death, Lavina's father has become a force to be reckoned with as he fights to find answers that align with the evidence. He actually called the casualty lia- liaison about the autopsy, uh... Because he hadn't received it after a couple of months, which is a little unusual. So he was told by this liaison that 
the evidence in this case was so messed up that it was going to take a year to straighten it out. A year? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Okay. For a suicide? Yeah. Um. Okay. Like, and that is in no way me saying that people who committed suicide shouldn't have a thorough investigation. Absolutely not. But typically, with a suicide, the evidence points to a suicide. Mm-hmm. Like, there's not much to be questioned, looked into, whatever. It's just, yeah, this was a suicide. We'll look into it, but pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. So on September 19th, when John finally receives the official autopsy report, it rules her death a suicide. Of course it does. Of course. On the same day, a criminal investigator arrived at John's home, promising both him and Linda that they would find out what happened to Lavina. Now, I have no idea how this criminal investigator came to be at their house. It wasn't mentioned in the documentary that I watched. Uh, <laughs> he just said that he showed up, that this investigator showed up and said that. So I included it because I guess he thought it was important. And I would, I hope I can do him some justice on this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So over the next two and a half years, Lavina's family would fight tooth and nail to gain any information they could. This involves several requests through the Freedom of Information Act, which is not fucking easy at all. Uh, these requests are time consuming and often feel like beating your head against a goddamn wall. Because if you don't ask the right questions or you ask the wrong way, you may not receive the information you're looking for. And then say you do receive the information you're looking for and you ask for, I don't know, like you ask for one document and then you receive that document and that document causes you to have like 10 other questions and be like, okay, well now I need to ask for this document. Well, guess what? That's not just an email. That's a whole new request. Mm-hmm. Whole new process. Yeah, and a lot of people don't have the time or the resources to to dedicate to look into this kind of stuff. So a lot of times family members who are like, okay, well, my kid didn't kill themselves. They don't, they can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Sorry, I was just waiting for the motorcycle to go away. I was about <laughs> to say, what is that? I think that was on your end. Mm-hmm. There was no motorcycle over here. There's nothing that went down the road. Maybe it's a straight over. I don't know. That's frightening. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Continuing on. <laughs> These requests can also be denied for any number of reasons. Uh, this was the case at least once for the Johnsons. During one of these many requests, someone... And this is the weirdest thing. Somebody sent a scanned image of a CD. What? Yeah. Not the CD. A scanned image. Okay. I feel like someone was just being a smartass with that. But okay. Either they were being a smartass or it almost begs the question, was somebody behind the scenes like, I feel really awful about this and I need them to know where to look? Mm. Mm-hmm. Because, like, 
you never know the extent of the information that the government actually has. So if you don't know to ask for it, how are you going to? Oh, no. And the military is great at covering shit up. They literally have parts of the army, whatever branch she was in. That is their job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so. So after receiving this stand image of a CD, because what the fuck, her dad, John, actually sends in a request for the CD. And lo and behold, request denied. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, so obviously that's not going to fly with him. And so he contacts uh, whatever branch this is he's speaking with and is told, your request has been denied to protect the identities on this CD. And if you like, and if you have any further issue with this, please contact our legal department. Hmm. This case is going to make me really angry. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that's a little sketchy, but rather than play into their game and join the legal department and do that whole charade, he decides, nah, I'm going to get a friend. So, he gets help from Representative William Lacey Clay, who orders the military to provide the Johnsons with a CD, as they have every right to know what happened to their daughter. Mm-hmm. So, here's where we start to get pretty graphic, guys. So, either buckle up or skip ahead. <laughs> On the CD were color crime scene photos, as well as photos of Lavina's naked body before the autopsy. Now, in the documentary, they randomly, without any warning, threw one of these colored crime scene photos in. Like shock value. I was not prepared. Mm. It's bad. I wouldn't suggest looking at them. Uh, (laughs) They're very widely available, but if you choose, go for it, I guess. I just wouldn't suggest it. So, one of these crime scene photos shows that Lavina died with her right arm over her face, as if shielding herself from something. Hmm. It also feels important to note at this time that Lavina's right-handed. Okay. So, she supposedly shot herself, right? Typically, Mm -hmm. you shoot using your dominant hand... Mm-hmm. But her right hand's over her face? <sighs> yeah, no. Yeah, so her, the fact that her right dominant arm is shielding her face definitely seems consistent with foul play. He, most definitely. Yeah, although this is from an untrained person, obviously I have no background in this. This is just from speculation and watching way too many true crime documentaries. <laughs> uh, I feel the need to note that, but I feel like everybody who ever hears about this case will agree. Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> Lavina's nose appeared to be broken and pushed inward and to the left. Oh my god. Yeah, it... Like I said, it gets really graphic. Uh, Images of her body show abrasions to the face, 
burns, and signs of sexual abuse. <sighs> this is my, like, my least favorite part. Um, something extremely caustic, presumably lie, had actually been poured inside of her vagina. Oh my god. Presumably to destroy evidence. <sighs> Probably the most suspicious thing about all of this is that none of those details are mentioned in the autopsy report. Yeah, that's a pretty big, pretty big thing to miss out on. Yeah. So there was also an imprint that appeared to be a bullet lodged in the front of her head above her left eye. This was on the same side of her head as what was described by military medical examiners to be an exit wound. Uh, so the... if that, yeah, if that sounds a little bit confusing to you, because it did to me when I was reading and writing it, basically what they're saying is the bullet both entered and left her body on the same side. What? That's literally what I wrote in my notes. I wrote dot, 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 what? So, that to me sounds like she may have been shot in the back of the head. And they just didn't disclose the entry point. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, anyway. I don't know about her being shot in the back of the head because the crime scene, the crime scene photo, it definitely looked like she was shot almost front on mm-hmm. um, the military here just isn't really covering their tracks well well if yeah, you're gonna, you know what? <sighs> I mean if you're gonna build a fake story to cover up a crime you might as well start from the evidence right yeah and what's really fucked up is they don't have to cover their tracks if they say it happened that way on paper, it happened that way, and they don't have to discuss it any further. That is so annoying. Like, oh my god. Okay, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's okay, that's been my whole reaction through this whole thing. <sighs> so, at the funeral, they the military requested of the family that they hold a closed casket funeral of course of course the family however said fuck that as they should and had an open casket because it's their fucking daughter and they're gonna do what they want you goddamn monsters Mm -hmm. so he had been told that the bullet exited the back of her head but the hole from the bullet was on the left side of her head Mm -hmm. So basically what that means, from my understanding, is the gun would have been held up to the left side of her head. Remember, she's right-handed, folks. So the gun's to the left side of her head, and then she has her elbow out almost at a 45-degree angle so that the bullet can go go out the back of her head. Yeah, that... Okay. Yeah, so none of it makes any sense so far. 
Mm -mm. When questioned, the medical examiner responded, it depends on the angle you're looking at it. What? Oh, my God. Yeah, no, sir. Sorry. It does not. It does not depend on what angle you look at it. You know this is the front of the face. This is the side of the face. It's not. Yeah. In addition to all of this, a military sketch depicting the crime scene clearly showed a cot located between her body and the weapon. So it just levitated after she shot herself and shot across the room to the side? Yeah, no. Yeah. So here is the story the Johnsons have been told. At some point on the night of July 18th, or the early morning of the 19th, Lavina left her barracks. She then walked across the post and sat down in a dirty, trash-filled contractor's tent on a conveniently placed bench. Because there's just a random fucking bench in the middle of this tent. No big deal. It's at this point that the five foot one soldier lights an accelerant and places it under the bench because just shooting herself apparently isn't enough, right? What the fuck? Mm hmm. Before sticking a 41 inch long M18 rifle to her own head. And pulling the trigger with her right thumb. So let's let's just think about all of that for a second. She is five foot one. Forty one inches is approximately three and a half feet. So this gun is almost half her size. How is she going to put this thing to her head? And then it's, pull the trigger. Not it's literally over half her size like this none of it makes i don't know okay Mm. yeah uh not to mention again the hole from the bullets on the left side of her head but she pulled it with her right thumb i mean i could see that but how so if she positioned the gun to her head It doesn't, I mean, she wouldn't necessarily have had to put it in the middle or on the right side. She could have positioned it on the left side. The gun would have been at an angle. But, But her arm, her right arm would have had to have been so long Mm -hmm. for her to be able to pull it if it's at her left side. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't. We'll get deeper into this in a minute. Sorry, I went off notes and I wrote, like, a lot of that down. So now I'm having to backtrack a little. It's fine. This is very frustrating. Okay, so in another case, uh, there's a woman named Gloria Davis, who I guess had been accused of either embezzling or fraud or something along those lines in the military, supposedly committed suicide using an M18 rifle. Uh, So I believe it was this case where they were like, they actually had that investigated and it was proved that there was no way she could have used her hands to pull that trigger. So the military backpedaled and was like, well, maybe she used her toe. Her, are you, doesn't she have shoes on? 
this girl, Lavina, I believe did. Oh my fucking god. Yeah, so it's it's just ridiculous. There's no sense of consistency. It's very obvious something's not right here. And it just gets more obvious as it goes. <sighs> so another interesting thing about this case is that they actually found a shell casing under Lavina's right leg. Of course they did. So in a meeting with six army men, a congressman, and two staffers, this is addressed. Now, it should be noted here that retired army colonel Ann Wright, who has, uh, she's a former U.S. diplomat, and she's been helping the Johnsons as well as many other people who faced this kind of situation fight for their justice. Uh, She was actually refused access to this meeting. Of course she was. Of course. So she's... It's basically six military men against Lavina's father. Now, fortunately, her father is kind of a badass himself. He actually has prior experience with the military and is very aware that they don't always play straight and that once an official statement's made, they're not going to back down. No. Yeah. So... (laughs) He actually snuck in a tape recorder in his pocket and turned it on. Good for him. Yeah, so on this recording, which you can actually listen to on the documentary, uh, he asks about the shell casing, and he, he said something along the lines of, so the bullet ejected out 180 degrees and landed under her right leg? Is that what you're saying? The response he received was, Well, I don't know exactly what happened. Because that's exactly what this father needs to hear. You don't know. Not only that, but you would think if the military is going to all this trouble to have this or to have this meeting in the first place, that they'd either know what the fuck they're talking about or have a better lie to tell. (sighs) So, basically, the military would have the Johnsons believe, despite all evidence to the contrary, that their intelligent, loving, and beautiful daughter, because she was beautiful, killed herself. They claim that she was depressed, then back up this claim, stating that her appetite changed. And when you... Oh my god, when I heard what they used to say that her appetite had changed, I about lost my mind. What do you think, how do you think her appetite changed? I just want to know what you would constitute a reasonable enough appetite change to declare she was depressed. The only thing that I could think of would be she wasn't eating at all. (laughs) Okay, yeah, it wasn't that. (laughs) So they backed up their claim stating that she was eating ice cream two to three times a day. It's fucking hot. Yeah, she likes so, ice cream. <laughs> for starters, I fucking love to eat ice cream two to three times a day. Are you uh, kidding? Ice cream is delicious. Mm-hmm. But then, it's fucking hot in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? It's 108 degrees over there right now. I looked. Yeah. Ugh. So, yeah. If it's 108 degrees outside, you bet your fucking ass I am doing 
I'm eating all the ice cream. And that's while I'm laying in bed doing absolutely nothing. She's out there doing push-ups, doing training, and all of these other things that are required of her with no AC, might I add. And also, who the fuck is keeping track of what she eats and how many times she eats a day? Truly. It's ridiculous. Mm. Now, in direct contradiction to all of this, uh, all letters and... Sorry, I'm trying to read my own writing. (laughs) So in direct contradiction to all of this, all letters and phone calls to her family indicated that she was fucking happy and excited to speak with and see them again. In fact, on July 17th, Lavina had actually called her mom early in the morning, and she sounded so excited. She said, I may be coming home sooner than expected. So that, I mean, that right there shows me that she definitely committed suicide. Case closed. Totally. But honestly, if your heart did not break hearing that. Yeah. Are you human? (laughs) (sighs) After promising she would call tomorrow or as soon as she was able, they hung up. And that next phone call never came. If all of that isn't enough to convince you, in a letter to the Johnsons from Lavina's commanding officer, Captain David Woods, he stated that Lavina was clearly happy and seemed to be in very good health, both physically and emotionally. So he's not part of this trying to cover it up. Does not seem that way. Good. Which almost makes me concerned for him. Yeah. (laughs) So, which seems more likely, that this desperately depressed woman fooled absolutely everyone and then killed herself, or that she was being treated for rape, which she was, Uh, and in trying to cover it up, she was killed. Does it say who raped her? It did not. Uh, nothing I could find said that, which I'm assuming is part of the documentation that they were denied access to. Yeah, so what if, like, another CO or uh, a sergeant above her raped her and was in trouble of, in jeopardy of being demoted or more likely kicked out of the military? That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> I don't think I don't think he was even in jeopardy of being kicked out of the military because you know how many times shit like this happens, which I will also speak on a bit later. Yeah. It. (laughs) So. Yeah. Um. Statistics show that one in every three women who enter the military will be raped. Which is absolutely horrifying. Then throw in, you might also be murdered to cover it up, and the military will help, mm-hmm. and no woman would ever enlist. Yeah, no. One statement made says that to date, 143 women have died in Iraq. Of those, there are 25 non combat deaths which bear further investigation, including eight deaths the Army has characterized as suicides. Like the Johnsons, many of these families have attempted to get their family members' case reopened, 
each request has been denied. And family yep. members have been stonewalled at every turn. Of course. Yeah. So, basically, this just goes to show that we have a real problem with our military. Yeah. And also, like, I'm going to get a little feminist here. For those of you who are saying that women can't be equal because we don't have to enroll in the draft, the second you assholes stop raping and killing us, we'll get right on that. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> mm. So that is that is the end of what I have here. It was horrible. Um. Wow. Yeah. I just, I don't even know what to say. There's nothing to end that. There's no way to make it pretty. It just. No. There, it, it bothers me just because I am friends with someone who was in the military. And while she was stationed in another state, she was raped. And she was kicked out of the military. Yep, they do that. They'll kick you out for reporting it. Yeah. And she was raped by another female. So it just goes to show that your title is everything, first of all. And anything that disgraces the name of the military can and will be covered up forever. Because they don't have to disclose anything. They, they don't have to. Like, you can raise all kind of hell. Once they give you a statement, that is all they have to do. Yeah, honestly, the, the Johnsons made no leeway until the dad, so John actually gave up all information that he had to the media because he was like, I'm not getting anywhere otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that's the only time they started actually, quote unquote, cooperating with him. Yeah. And please don't think that us speaking about this the way we are is us bashing any military service members. It's because, like I've said before on a previous episode, I come from a extensive military family. My boyfriend is a veteran. His dad is a veteran. Like, I have a lot of respect for the military. What I don't have respect for is things like this. Things like this happen. Things like this happen in any kind of company that has, you know, men and women and working together or, you know, whatever. It could happen with two women. It could happen with two men. But the fact that they absolutely do not have to explain anything that happens to these people is absolutely sickening. I agree. I also have family members who have served, who are serving, and we appreciate the good ones out there. We do. It's just... Stuff like this can't keep happening, and we're not going to not talk about it just because it's uncomfortable. So Yeah. I mean, obviously, we both have very strong opinions <laughs> on several things, and I'm not here to cover anything up. If I was, I wouldn't have started a podcast. So, hey. I mean, when something's wrong, we're going we're gonna to let you know how we feel about it, and I'm sorry if that makes anyone uncomfortable, but... I mean, there, you literally cannot argue with the facts of this case. <laughs> I mean, you can if you're the military, all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, but... I mean, not well, but you can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah. 
So my sources are The Silent Truth, which is a documentary that is actually done by Lavina's family. There's some beautiful illustration in it. Uh, this is the one, though, where they randomly throw out colored crime scene photos at you and scar you for life. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really sad and it's really hard to watch because you see both of her parents like crying and talking about it. But it's definitely worth a watch if you're interested in this case. I also used L.A. Times, NPR.org, STLAmerican.com, and CommonDreams.org. all right we need to take a break (laughs) yes we definitely do need to take a break so be right back hey rebecca guess what what i got my heathen hippo candle in the mail today really so did i (laughs) Yes, so I got the fireside scent, and it is literally my favorite thing in the world right now. I got my white tea and fig scent, and same. Yeah, they're amazing. Not to mention, our cute little logo looks so good on the front of this candle. I 100% agree, and I just, I don't know. I want to send one to everyone. (laughs) Same. They're super affordable. They're natural because they're made out of soy. And because they're made out of soy and they're natural, they burn evenly, there's no lingering smoky smell, and they even use my favorite wood wicks. Yeah, so that nice little crackle, oh my goodness. Especially with Fireside, I imagine that would be so nice. Yeah, it's literally like I'm sitting next to a campfire in my cramped little studio. It's perfect. (laughs) I love it. So, guys, if you want one, there are nine fragrances, five customizable font options, or you can get some of their really fun standard label options. They have some Joe Exotic ones that are calling my name. So, if you want to buy some of these adorable, affordable candles, go to Heathen Hippo on Etsy. And you can use our little code, CTKPOD, and save 10%. Yeah, so uh, literally not seeing any reason you shouldn't do that. So, head on over right now. Like, right now. Right now, do it. (laughs) All right. That was a much needed break. (laughs) I agree. I'm no longer crying. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so are you ready to be spooked? I mean, no, but... (laughs) Okay, Let's yes. do it anyway. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this is actually going to be a two-parter for me. Um, I found myself wanting to cover bits and pieces of this, I don't know what you would even call it. But, um, so I'm covering Ed and Lorraine Warren. So, I was going to break it up into all the cases that they had covered, But some cases have a lot of information, some cases have no information, some cases the information is all over the place. So I kind of just figured I would cover all of it at one time and be done with it instead of like revisiting several stories and you guys getting tired of hearing their names. (laughs) Yay! Um, Yeah, that'll be really fun. And so guys, if you're not tired of hearing me do true true crime uh, patrons out there, you get to listen to me do another one. (laughs) <laughs> <Next>. Yeah. <laughs> Which 
I mean, it kind of works out in both of our favor, because I know you sometimes prefer true crime. I definitely sometimes prefer paranormal. So, you know, here we go. Yeah, it works out. <laughs> okay. So, again, I'm covering Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, if you don't know who they are, they were pretty well-known um, paranormal investigators, I guess you could call them. So, if you've seen movies like Amityville Horror, um, The Conjuring, they were also in, well, Lorraine was featured in Insidious. Like, they were in and out of all of those cases. Those were, like, the main investigators of all of those cases. So, Ed Warren was born Edward Warren Miney. He dropped the Miney for unknown reasons. I'm guessing it just didn't flow as well as Edward Warren did. <laughs> I mean, it definitely doesn't sound great. You're right. And I could, in my head, I'm picturing, like, all of the bullying that could have been done with that last name. So I, I would have dropped it, too. <laughs> I just want to start singing Eeny, Meeny, Miney, Mo. Um, well, when I mentioned it to someone, they asked me who I was doing. And I was like, oh, Edward Warren, Miney. And they were like, <laughs> Miney, Heiney. <laughs> and I was like, stop it. Okay. <laughs> what an adult. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my friends. Anyway. <laughs> so he ended up dropping Miney uh, for good reasons, I guess. He was born September 7th, 1926, which makes him a Virgo, Virgo males. Eh. <laughs> um, he was a self-taught demonologist, which is someone who studies demons or beliefs about demons. He was also a best-selling author and a paranormal lecturer. He was a naval veteran who served in World War II, and Mr. Warren married his high school sweetheart. Sweetheart. <laughs> he just really loved those heart candies, you guys. Oh my god. Okay. His high school sweetheart, Lorraine Rito Morin, on May 22nd, 1945, in Bridgeport, Connecticut. The two were married for 61 years when he passed away from complications with a heart attack. Lorraine was by his side every step of the way. What's one of those, like, super true love stories? Lorraine was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut on January 31st, 1927, which makes her an Aquarius. She began having clairvoyant experience, experiences as a child. She said that it was her belief that a lack of religion was what often opened the door for malevolent forces to enter a home or a life. Um, I don't really know that I believe in that because anybody I've ever seen that needed a exorcism was super religious. But anyway, I don't agree with that either, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, whatever. Uh, During a 2013 interview with the Irish independent, she stated when there's no religion, there's absolutely, it is absolutely terrifying. That is your protection. God is your protection. It doesn't matter what your religion is again. Agree to disagree. Yeah. Um, Lorraine met Ed at 16. They met when she accompanied a group of friends to a movie theater where Ed was an usher. Um, and then, of course, they got married and they ended up having a daughter and I believe a son. 
Um, and Lorraine passed in her sleep at 92 on April 18th, 2019. Um, so she just passed away a little bit over a year ago. And I remember when that happened, I posted this long post and it was beautiful. But anyway, <laughs> in 1952, the Warrens founded the Psychic Research Society. The founding of this caused the cases to begin pouring in. Ed would often contact owners of well-known haunted houses and offer to paint portraits of the homes. This, more times than not, would lead to homeowners offering tours of their homes along with all the true versions of the haunting rumors. After a few tours, Ed began offering investigations, and the rest is history. The Warrens claimed to have investigated over 10,000 cases. They received much criticism and often were called frauds, Along, although... There was never any proof that came to light to prove that they were frauds, and all of their investigations, well, almost all of their investigations, ended up with positive results. So, the first case I'm going to cover is arguably one of the most popular and well-known, and it's going to be the case of Annabelle the Doll. So, haunted dolls freak me out real bad. (laughs) So, researching this... Yuck. So, in 1968, a nursing student named Donna received Annabelle as a graduation gift from her mother. Her mother found the doll in a second-hand store not far from where Donna's apartment was. Donna was living with her boyfriend, Lou, at this time. Soon after Donna was given the doll, the couple started noticing strange things going on in the apartment. They recall one of them always being sick in one way or another for absolutely no reason. Their fire alarm would randomly go off in the middle of the night, which that's happened to me before, and it scared the absolute shit out of me, so. (sighs) And it was never triggered, so there was never any smoke or anything when it was going off. They would often walk into their apartment and walk into a foul smell. They called maintenance several times to try to locate the source of the smell, and the outcome was always the same. The maintenance man would always leave, scratching his hand, head, Without an explanation. While all of this was going on, the doll always seemed to relocate itself. Yuck. (laughs) The pair soon decided to call the Warrens to see if they would be willing to do an investigation on their apartment, and more specifically, Annabelle. The couple was told that the Warrens were currently working on another case, and it may be as long as a month before they could get to them. In the meantime, the couple hired an, a local unnamed medium, and this medium ended up telling the couple that the doll was possessed by the spirit of a seven-year-old little girl named Annabelle. The medium told the couple that the spirit was inhabiting the doll was, was harmless and that they had absolutely nothing to be concerned about. Because they were led to believe that the doll was harmless, the couple decided to tell the medium to let the know to let the spirit know that it was okay for her to stay in the home. After the medium told them, Annabelle asked if she could stay because they made her feel safe. <sighs> this was a huge mistake. Yeah. yeah. The day after the medium left, Lou began having very vivid nightmares about the doll crawling up his body under his blankets and then choking him to death. (laughs) Yeah. Around the same time of the nightmares, the couples began finding random notes around the house that said things like, help me, Lou, or help us, scribbled in what Lou described as childlike handwriting, which absolutely not. (laughs) Uh, No. Yeah. 
After finding a few of these notes, the couple decided it was time for a vacation from the apartment, and more specifically, from Annabelle. While they were discussing the details of this vacation, they began to hear loud noises coming from another room. Lou went down the hall to investigate. Upon entering the room, he found Annabelle facing him. He entered the room and reached for her to turn her little creepy ass around, and he heard a bang behind him. Of course, he spun around to see where the noise came from, and he immediately felt an intense burning on his back. By this time, Donna had come hauling ass down the hallway because she heard the second noise, and she seen Lou take his shirt off, and when he turned around, she saw three deep claw marks going down the entirety of his back. So this was the final straw. And I don't know if you guys... um, know anything about demonic possessions but normally um if there is a demonic possession and someone is scratched it's always with three claws always so yeah so this of course was the final straw after receiving this update the warrens rushed to the couple accompanied by a priest Lorraine told the couple upon entering their home that there was no child spirit present that the doll was in fact possessed by the spirit of a demon She let them know that demons will often mimic children's voices to sway the inhabitants of the home they are trying to possess to allow them to stay. Once you tell them they're allowed to stay, it's nearly impossible to get rid of them. So I guess kind of like vampires. Once you let them in, that's it. (sighs) (laughs) The priest blessed the couple and their home and the Warrens decided to take Annabelle. Once removed from the home, the couple reported they had no other weird instances. So on the way home, the Warren's car cut off several times and the brakes began to give Ed trouble. Ed ended up pulling the car over to the side of the road. He splashed the doll with holy water. (laughs) After this, they made the trip, the rest of the trip home without any incident. Today, Annabelle the Raggedy Ann doll is locked in a glass case in the Warren's home, which is now turned into a museum. With a sign that reads, positively do not open. So why did the Warren's not destroy the doll? Lorraine says destroying the vessel would only release the entity and allow it to roam free and choose another vessel. So that makes sense to me. (laughs) So before I get into the second case I'm going to cover, or the second story part of this, I want to go ahead and cite my sources before I forget. Um, So for this entire story, my sources were the New York Times, Wikitree, Wikipedia, the lineup, all that's interesting, and army.mil. So, the second part of this. I know, thanks. (laughs) So, the second part I'm going to cover is the Perrin family haunting. And this is the real-life inspiration for The Conjuring. Um, If you don't know what The Conjuring is, it's kind of like a quote-unquote universe now. So they've made two movies. Um, Annabelle was a spinoff of that. The Nun was a spinoff of that. They're supposed to be making more movies this year. So it's a whole film universe, basically. Kind of like Marvel, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, except much less fun. Yeah! (laughs) Wow, that was high-pitched. Sorry. (laughs) I'm excited. Okay. I mean, I guess. (laughs) So the Perrin family, um, like I said, is the real life inspiration behind The Conjuring. 
In the winter of 1970, the Perrin family was enjoying their new home, known to the rest of the community as the Old Arnold Estate. Everything was going great until things began to go missing and objects began to move on their own. Mm. Yeah. Carolyn Perrin, which was the mother, began researching the home, finding out about the eight generations of the Arnold family who had called their new dwellings home. Most of the Arnolds died in mysterious... Or horrific ways. Great, my faces. Yeah, they either succumbed to horrible accidents, others committed suicide, and some deaths were even inconclusive. (laughs) Oh, those are our real favorites, though. Uh Uh-huh. So, why did Carolyn start this research? Aside from things going missing, one morning she awoke to a very tall woman in an old gray dress who by the looks of it had hung herself because her head hung to one side. As she shrieked, get out, get out, I'll drive you out with death and gloom. No. So, yeah. Don't love that. (laughs) Don't love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, that's my favorite. (laughs) So Carolyn would soon learn from her research that this woman's name was, mm. so I did look this up and it was pronounced two different ways. So, (laughs) so her name was Bethesda. With a B? Yes. Like in, at the end of it is a B? Bethesda, no, B-A at the end. So like Bethesda. I wasn't I sure if it was a B-A or a D-A was Mm-mm. what I was getting at there. <laughs> so Bethesda. That's what we're going to go with. She was born in 1813, and she was known to the local community as a witch and ended up hanging herself in a tree, which this tree actually still stands outside of this home, after sacrificing her baby to the devil. Nope. Yeah, so Bethesda was a very physical spirit. She would slap and pinch several members of the Perrin family, and she even ended up stabbing Carolyn in the leg with a knitting needle. So she'd slap them, though. Yeah. So you could say they got witch slapped? (laughs) Get out. (laughs) Okay, I'll just leave my little closet. You can tell the story to silence. (laughs) I quit. (laughs) So, when I heard the thing about her being stabbed with a knitting needle, um, I did a little bit of research, and aren't knitting needles kind of blunt-tipped? Like, I don't think they're very sharp. Kind of, but with enough force behind them, if you have a metal one, you could you could easily stab someone with That's them. They're right. actually, I feel like they're a pretty common weapon, honestly. Yuck. And I know, I know there's one movie where somebody is stabbed with uh, knitting needles. Well, I'm gross. I'm trying to remember what it is. I feel like it involved Charlie Sheen, but I'm probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said what I wanted you to say, and that was with enough force. Yeah. So, I don't know how much everyone else knows about the paranormal world, But it takes a lot of energy for a spirit to put that much force behind something. So that just goes to tell you how powerful the spirit was. (laughs) Yeah, no thank you. 
Yeah. yeah. Like, it's hard enough for them to muster up enough energy to turn a light on or to turn a flashlight on. So for her to physically harm someone, she's pretty freaking powerful. So the parent family also believed there was an entirely different spirit inhabiting their basement. They would often smell rotting flesh and even watched as one of the children's bed beds arose from the floor in the basement. At this point, the family called the Warrens, which I would have called them as soon as I seen homegirl standing next to my bed, but I right. mean, or the first witch slap sighting something. Yeah, the minute I start seeing shit, it's time to go. Like, nope. All right. So the family ended up calling the Warrens. So the Warrens accepted their invitation to their home, and upon arrival, the activity in the home intensified. Eventually leading, leading Bethesda to possessing Carolyn. This caused Carolyn to speak in a, sp- a strange language and even levitate off of a chair. No. Oh, yeah. Although Ed and Lorraine were able to remove Bethesda, Bethesda's spirit from Carolyn, they could not rid the home of her or the additional nine spirits in the house. The Warrens advised the Perrin family to move, but because the family couldn't afford to do so, they lived in the home until 1980. I'd live in my fucking car. Yeah, so they lived in this house with these spirits for 10 years. No, thank you. Yeah. They eventually sold the home and moved to Georgia. Andrea Perrin, who is the oldest daughter, has written several books about their experiences and says that many of the spirits must have grown attached to the family because a few of them haunted them for years to come. Yeah, so that was the Perrin family. My next one is going to be on West Point Military Academy. And I got most of my information on this haunting from the army's website which is kind of shocking to me that the army would acknowledge this was going on but yeah, that's a little wild <laughs> right <laughs> okay so west point in the 1970s many cadets at the west point academy shared feelings of being watched by an unseen presence because of this the academy experienced an influx of publicity and several well-documented accounts of apparitions In October of 1972, two cadets were awoken by a ghost soldier who manifested in front of one of their beds. The cadet closest to the apparition screamed, and the soldier vanished. Both cadets reported an extreme drop in temperature. They were in room 4714. The ghost was middle-aged, dressed up in 1830-style uniform, complete with a musket, shako hat, and handlebar mustache. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> the ghost was often referred to as the pusher, and this is because all of the cadets who saw this ghost said that it felt like there was a pressure being pushed on their chest so they couldn't get up out of their bed or they couldn't move away from wherever they were standing when they saw him. So room 14, or 4714, sorry, has since been converted to a small study area. The Warrens were called in in later 1972, and upon investigation, Lorraine discovered a female ghost named Molly, which I love this ghost, okay? (laughs) Interesting, okay. (laughs) She was a cook on the land before the academy was built. She is said to haunt the superintendent housing, or Quarters 100, knocking over wine bottles and messing up people's sheets. 
which to me is hilarious because your bed being made is a major point of inspection. So she was kind of like, fuck you guys and mess their sheets up. (laughs) Now, that is really funny, but it also begs the question, were the military guys just really lazy and didn't want to make their beds and so they'd blame this ghost? Well, what I think (laughs) is because Lorraine said that she knew that Molly was doing this. I think maybe it happened once or twice and then they just took full advantage of it. There. Yeah. (laughs) So Warren said the following of of Molly. She is a very domineering woman. She's not very old. She's athletically inclined. She's not a quiet lady. If she had a husband, he was dominated by her while at home. (laughs) (laughs) Which in my notes, beside that, I wrote Trunchbull? Like from Matilda? Because that's what she reminds me of. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, that woman haunts my nightmares. Yeah, gross. So Molly is said to be mischievous and playful. She hasn't harmed anyone. She just likes to misplace items and knock shit over. (laughs) So other ghosts haunting West Point are a Buffalo soldier named Greer, who once placed a wallet of a cadet in bed with the superintendent and his wife. The lady, which this is fucked up, who is the ghost of a woman who fell fatally ill. She had her mother move into her home to help nurse her back to health. Meanwhile, her husband ended up falling in love with her mother. Yeah. Shortly after the woman passed away, her then husband and mother ended up getting married. Why are men... Oh, she's just as much to blame for this, the mama. <laughs> I mean, absolutely, but... Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the lady is per- pretty powerful herself. She will actually freeze clocks, making many people late for appointments and for <laughs> formations. She throws items at men. She makes loud noises. She even caused a room to be completely sealed off because she would frequent it and just pop up out of nowhere, scaring the absolute shit out of cadets. Which is, you know, that's what I would do if I was a ghost. (laughs) So, um, that's pretty much it for West Point. Apparently, these hauntings are still ongoing. People still see the the Buffalo Soldier named Greer. People still see the Pusher. And then, um, Molly's still fucking shit up. So, yeah. Um, the last story I'm going to cover tonight is going to be Amityville. Ooh. So, some people like Amityville, some people don't like Amityville. It's been covered a million times, which is why I didn't want to dedicate an entire episode to this, because I'm pretty sure I can sum it up in about five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've heard it so many times. (laughs) So, I'm sure most of our listeners probably um, have to. Yeah, which is definitely why I just, I didn't want to dedicate a whole episode to it. But I felt like it was worth mentioning. Yeah, good call. So, um, this is arguably the most famous case for the Warrens. Um, This, they actually investigated all of these cases around the same time. The 70s was a very busy time for the Warrens. So, November 13th, 1974 
Ronald DeFeo Jr. murdered his entire family with a Marlin rifle. He's said to have been possessed at the time of the murders. This is what he says. I feel like maybe he just got tired of participating in family activities and decided to off all of them. Um, So he murdered both parents, um, two brothers, and two sisters. So the strangest part about this case for me is the neighbors for this house are fairly close. No one heard any gunshots at all. No one claimed to see lights going on and off. Because he claimed to turn the lights on when he went in to shoot them and then turn them off when he left the room. Um, All of the family members were found face down in their beds. And again, all the neighbors said they heard were dog barking. So you didn't hear a rifle go off. Like, must have been a really loud fucking dog. Right. So, 13 months after Ronald was convicted of all of these murders, the home was sold to the Lutz family for $80,000. This house right now is listed for $605,000, so if that tells you they got a fucking steal on this, because even back then it would have been listed for about $200,000. Yeah. So, they got it for eighty grand. George Lutz was a stepfather and he was said to have been awoken by voices each morning at 3.15 a.m., which is when Ronald DeFeo committed the murders. Side note for that, it took him 15 minutes to murder all six members of his family. 15 minutes. Yeah, and they weren't all close. Like, one, the, one girl lived in the basement, another girl lived way down the hallway from her parents, so... He had to been booking it to shoot all of them and get back and forth between the house. But anyway. Had to do it before they all woke up. <clears throat> yeah, which is another thing because you would think if he shot his parents first, the kids would have heard it. But if you're moving that quick, I guess it doesn't really matter, even though they were that found and then, down in their bed. <laughs> that and then honestly, as a kid, I could sleep through my mom vacuuming right next to me. So. Oh, no, not me. Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't know. Some kids are deep sleepers, but plus if it was actually something paranormal, they could have been lulled into sleep by something ominous. That's what I was thinking. Somehow the rifle didn't make much noise because the neighbors didn't hear it. None of the family members in the house heard it. I just find that part of the case really suspicious. But anyway, um, so he would wake up at 315, which is when Ronald DeFeo finished the murders. Um, The family would also smell foul odors and experience cold spots. They also said there was random green slime that would come from outlets, which is, ew. It sounds like the, those Nick games. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You just got slimed. Um, and they would also have issues with flies, even though it was November and this is in New York. So it was real cold. Yeah. So the family had a priest enter their home, and as soon as he entered the home, he was promptly told, get out, which he did. <laughs> but not before yeah, telling fair. the Lutzes, not before telling the Lutzes that they should absolutely do the same. The family would awake to levitating off of their beds. The son, Daniel, and George saw a pig-looking creature peering out of the window at them. 
And the youngest daughter would eventually tell them that this pig was her friend and its name was Jody. So, yeah, which kind of makes me believe maybe it didn't appear as this creepy ass pig to her because from what they describe, it was super creepy. <clears throat> so the Warrens were called in 1975. Lorraine was stated in many interviews Lorraine has stated in many interviews that Amityville was the absolute worst case she had ever investigated. The couple caught an apparition of a small boy peeking around a corner at them. I've seen this picture and it is absolutely terrifying. They also experienced an overwhelming sense of dread while in the home, which I don't know that that's necessarily paranormal because all those murders happened. And if I entered a home where there was a bunch of murders, I would probably experience a lot of dread as well. But anyway, (laughs) so the Warrens told the Lutzes that the home was haunted by a violent demonic presence and advised them to leave. There was nothing they could do to cleanse the home. They just needed to get out. They did. The Lutzes spent a total of 28 days in the home. The house is now up for sale for $605,000. You can find it at 108 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York, which has changed from 412 Ocean Avenue to try to confuse tourists. Because can you imagine how many people try to visit this home? A million and a half. (laughs) Yeah. So it was built in 1927, a Dutch colonial with five bedrooms and three bathrooms. It has a swimming pool and a boathouse. It's on a really pretty harbor. The murders took, like I said before, 15 minutes from start to finish. Two parents, two brothers, and two sisters. The neighbors heard absolutely nothing but the dark, the dog barking. The Lutzes kept all the furniture from the DeFeos, including the beds they were shot in. Mm-hmm. Which is disgusting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the entire family reported seeing apparitions with half of their heads blown off. No, thanks. Yeah. Um, So the next part I'm going to mention is kind of hit and miss. I saw just as many sources that said this wasn't true as there were that said it was true. um, But it makes sense to me. Apparently, this home was built on a burial ground. Um, I know that was over-exaggerated in at least two of the remakes of the movie. But I don't really know what else would cause the energy before the DeFeo murders. um, Because there was definitely something going on there. Like, nobody heard the gunshots. Ronald DeFeo said that he would wake up at 3 in the morning hearing voices. Um, Before all of this happened, the father would actually joke with his friends talking about how he would see people walking back and forth in front of his bedroom. So... There was definitely some energy going on in this house, but like I said, some say that it's not true. Some say that it is definitely true. It makes sense to me, but who am I to judge? But anyway, um, the Amityville house has since been remodeled, so the creepy little windows everybody knows that house for have been removed. It's been recited so originally the siding on the house was made out of shiplap which is like that really pretty old wood now it's like vinyl siding um it's painted a completely different color the entrances have been changed so there's been a lot of renovations done to this 
Um, it is updated with all the top-of-the-line appliances. So if you're looking for a home in Amityville, New York, and you have just $605,000 laying around, maybe you shouldn't buy it and then invite me and Rebecca over to investigate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, you are trying to get us killed. <laughs> I wouldn't stay the night there, and we would not go alone, so. <laughs> yeah. But... I think that's where I'm going to stop with the Warrens tonight. There are five other cases that I'll cover at another time, but I don't want to talk to you guys for like six hours. So. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one thing before we do the little, our little sign off here. Uh, so we actually played a little game in our Facebook group. So if you guys, you know, haven't joined that get on it uh but so we played a game where people could win a custom shout out based on the last person to comment before our timer went off so the winner is actually katie is one of your friends and i just sent you a message i see it oh bartina yeah so (laughs) bartina so basically how this game works is you know we started a story with like half a sentence and then everybody would continue so the last person to comment was bartina uh and she got to request a customizable shout out so what she requested us to say is to just say hi to everyone that listen uh and that if you have any sensey needs then she's your gal uh so i guess find her in our facebook group if that's a thing that you need Yeah, she also does, um, like, custom monograms and stuff like that, too. And she's super sweet, so don't be afraid to message her if you're interested. Yeah, other than that, (laughs) Katie, what were your CTKs this week? So, researching these stories... (laughs) I feel that. ...had me pretty freaked out. Um, My computer almost took a crap and died completely, so... (sighs) that was very interesting. I also had some really bad side effects from the medication I'm on. Um, So, yeah, that that was fun. (laughs) What were your CTKs? (laughs) Uh, I actually wanted to ask you, though, uh, with the whole COVID resurgence thing, is there any word about your work possibly shutting back down? Um, not as of now, North Carolina just made it mandatory for, oh, that's another thing. North Carolina made it mandatory for us to wear masks. And I know it's hot everywhere in the world right now. Um, but it has been 98 degrees here. And we also have like a 93% humidity rate. Um, so it is real hot and all of those masks stick to your face. (laughs) Yeah, I hope you I hope you realize that the second Luke listens to this, you just solidified his never moving to North Carolina sentiment. <laughs> well, it's good for him to know now. If you guys move to North Carolina, move close to the mountains cuz oh my god, it is hot. <laughs> gotcha. Yikes. Yeah, but um We haven't heard anything about it. Um, There haven't been any mentions of any businesses being closed, restaurants, anything like that. So right now they just made mask mandatory. I feel like eventually it's going to come to things being shut down because people are still not following any kind of rules. So, yeah, I, I feel like maybe 
we'll go back on a mandatory quarantine. But yeah. Yeah. I know <sighs> California is already heading back that way with Governor Kendall and whatnot, but <laughs> <sighs> yeah. yeah, so mine for this week is yeah, researching two stories in a weekend. Uh yeah. And then <laughs> so like this last one. This story really fucked me up and has me in a really negative headspace right now. So that's not the greatest. And then I also had this really fun thing. So I think I had, it was either an allergic reaction or there was just way too much salt in it. I ordered some takeout the last last Sunday when Katie and I recorded. And it was like this delicious pasta that I loved. But I ordered enough so that I'd have leftovers for like lunch, maybe a dinner or something. And so I just ate that pasta for like three meals in a row. I know. I don't make the healthiest life choices. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, So, I yeah, I ate like this delicious chicken Italian pasta three meals in a row. And so for like three days, my ankles were swollen and it like hurt to sit for more than two minutes. It hurt to stand. It was just awful. So that ruined my life this week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. Uh, but I have started a diet because that the fact that I was concerned, like, could this be an even deeper underlying issue that's not related, really just gave me the kick in the ass that I needed to just get on my shit. So when I say diet, I'm not like, I'm going to do Weight Watchers. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I'm just eating healthier, really monitoring what I'm putting in my body instead of, like, eating an entire bag of chips when I'm depressed. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the usual things that I would love to be able to do, but I just can't anymore. So that diet's also killing me. But I did go to the farmer's market and get some yummy fruit. So, (laughs) Well, that's good. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and not... Not to mention, so you talked about us recording our Patreon episode. We went from recording our Patreon episode to immediately recording this episode. And somehow, in that (laughs) transition, Rebecca's mic fucked up. And it made this noise where I could hear her trying to talk. But I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie White Noise, where there's, like, uh-huh. static, and whenever someone tries to talk, it's just, like, intensifies in, like, certain places. That happened, and I launched my headset off of my head because I was convinced that there was a demon that possessed her microphone. So, that chilled the fuck out of me. <laughs> Yeah, I really wish you had recorded that, but yeah. I mean, I think some of it recorded, just I don't know how much. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, in addition to all of this, I don't, I still don't have a desk chair in my little closet. So I'm currently sitting on my floor because my folding chair is very, very uncomfortable. And I can't sit in it for more than, like, maybe an hour. So, that's fine. So, if uh, anybody wants to donate some nice (laughs) desk chairs to Rebecca and I, because she's sitting on the floor, I'm suffering some pretty intense back pain right now, and your girls are broke, okay? (laughs) 
Yeah. So if you want to either donate actual desk chairs or, you know, just become a patron or just donate money, I think actually through Anchor, there's a button that shows when you look us up on Anchor, that's just uh, support us or sponsor us, something along those lines. Those are all options. (laughs) But otherwise, you can definitely find us at on Twitter or Instagram at... CTK pod and Katie's reversing this on me trying to trip me up (laughs) you can join our awesome Facebook group which Rebecca and I are both very active in Rebecca sometimes more than me but anyway (laughs) and you can find that at CTK podcast and if you have any listener stories you can send them to us at chills thrills and kills at gmail.com please do Mm -hmm. we loved doing our last listener episode which should actually that will be released what is it not next monday is it next monday um we're releasing the first episode yes so next monday the first of every monday or oh my god i can't english the first (laughs) monday of every month so yes it will be next monday july 6th that will be released that'll be really fun Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then last but definitely not least, you can find us on Patreon. We just, as we've mentioned, like I think eight times this episode, recorded our extra episode for our $10 thrillers tier. Uh, so you can find us there at patreon.com slash ctkpod. Yeah, I think that is everything we have to update you guys on. Yeah, sorry for all the rambling. I'm pretty tired. I know Katie is really tired. It's just Mm -hmm. been a week. And it's only Monday. Woo! Yay, so happy... Well, it won't be Monday by the time you guys hear this, so never mind. Happy Wednesday. (laughs) Have a good week. Yes. Until next time. Bye! Bye!